Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who is just dying to tell Joe Rogan that he's been abducted by aliens twice. He is the captain. All the small things. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are drinking Lonesome Boatman Ale by the brilliant guys and girls over at the Outer Light Brewing Company over in Connecticut. Garage grade four out of five bottle caps. The Lonesome Boatman was my best friend at sea. (laughs) Well, Lonesome Boatman Ale is a red ale. It's a very complex red ale. Bready, toasty, and hoppy. But the thing I noticed first is this is a very high quality and balanced red ale. Perfect for the colder months. He was a gentleman's gentleman. And we were able to warm up to this Outer Light Brew thanks to Sarah in Benbrook, Texas. And a big shout out to Leslie in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Next, we have Cynthia from Janesville, Wisconsin, who says she gives the garage five stars. Hey, to all of our friends donating to the beer fund, I give you five stars. And a big we like your jib to Kelly and Port Moody, British Columbia. And last but not least, we have Jenna in Nashville, Tennessee. So thanks to everybody for going to the website and helping out the garage. If you want to fill up the fridge for next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com, click on the donate button. And only a couple days left to get your Parts Unknown pre-order t-shirts. Get your order in today, or you're just going to be locked out of Parts Unknown forever. So let it be known that time is running out for Parts Unknown, right, Captain? That's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. In the early morning hours of July 23rd, 2007, two men broke into the home of Dr. William Pettit. Pettit had lived at the home on Sorghum Mill Drive in the quiet, safe town of Cheshire, Connecticut, for 20 years. 
At home with Dr. Pettit that night was his wife and two daughters. The two men found Dr. Pettit asleep on a couch in the sunroom. They beat him with a baseball bat. From there, the two men went on to ransack the house and terrorize the girls. This is the nightmarish story of a home invasion and murder. Dr. Pettit's wife, Jennifer, and two daughters, 17-year-old Haley and 11-year-old Michaela, were killed by these two men. A few days later, at the memorial services for the three victims, Jennifer Pettit and her daughters Haley and Michaela, over 4,000 people were present. People came in from several states away. All three were buried in white caskets per Bill's request. And somehow Bill, still nowhere near having recovered from the physical attack he had been subjected to, somehow Bill, he had the strength to speak at that service. Now let's go back to Monday, July 23rd, because right after the vehicle stolen by these two men, Jennifer's van, had crashed into two police cars, the police thankfully arrested those men, right? So now we have these two guys in custody. The police arrested Joshua Karmasajewski. Uh, he's, he's younger than his partner in crime, Stephen Hayes, by about 20 years. Um, the two of them, they shared the same set of issues. Both of these guys are career criminals. They're in and out of trouble for most of their adult lives. They both have problems with alcohol and drugs. Now, both these guys up to this point were guilty of having committed pretty much just petty crimes, you know, uh, breaking into cars, stealing cars. Uh, that was Stephen Hayes's thing. Within hours of the arrest, Stephen Hayes was ready to confess and tell the police just what went down, the how and the why. Now, according to Stephen Hayes, the two men, uh, he and Joshua, had met at a halfway house and became, they became friends of sorts. Um, Hayes would typically commit crimes to feed his alcohol and drug problems. But he was looking to, quote-unquote, step up his game. Uh, he wanted to start breaking into homes because he was under the impression that you will find more money and more valuables, especially if you go and pick out a nice home and watch it for a while. Anyway, Joshua is a pro at breaking into homes. As a matter of fact, that is like his specialty. He's been arrested many times for breaking into homes. Yeah, and I think when he was arrested one time, he claimed that he broke into 18 different homes. Mm -hmm. uh, so Joshua starts showing his new friend, Stephen Hayes, how to pick out a good house, how to break in, what to look for, all that sort of stuff, right? In fact, just the day before they broke into the Pettit's home. The two had broken into several homes. Stephen Hayes was learning new criminal skills and Joshua was now Joshua. Now with the help of a partner was scheming other ways to increase the score. Plus it's widely believed that he wanted to start committing other types of crimes rather than just B and E and burglary. One of the questions becomes why did they pick the Pettit family? Well, we have a situation, Captain, where late in the afternoon on Sunday, July 22nd, 48-year-old um, Jennifer Hawk Pettit, she's with her 11-year-old daughter, Michaela. They went to that stop-and-shop grocery store in Cheshire. 
Now, during their trip to the grocery store, somehow they attracted the attention of Joshua Karmasevjevsky, who followed them home. He Mm. was there waiting for somebody. He said something like um, a contractor was supposed to pay him some money or something like that. But anyway, he, he sees the woman and her child at the store. It seems like he may have had some some attraction to the child. He definitely did. Yeah, and he decides to follow them to their home where he notices that they live in a nice neighborhood and a big house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he says, quote, it looked like a nice place to be someday. Yeah. Stephen Hayes would tell us that Joshua told him that he had liked the way the 11-year-old girl looked. Stephen Hayes messages Joshua. He sends him a text message saying, hey, I'm chomping at the bit to get started. Need a margarita soon. Mm. To which he gets no reply from Joshua. Stephen Hayes then texts later saying, we still on? Question mark. Joshua replies, yes. Stephen Hayes wants to know if it will be soon. And Joshua answers, I'm putting the kid to bed. Hold your horses. Stephen Hayes then wrote, dude, the horses want to get loose, LOL. At some point, the two men get together that evening, and they decide to go out to a bar, and they're having several drinks. I'm guessing what they're doing is they're planning their attack Mm -hmm. because Joshua is telling him about this home that he has become aware of, that he followed these two people home from the Stop and Shop grocery store. And he liked their house. It was a big house. There was probably lots of valuables in there. According to Hayes' confession, the two men had planned to rob the Pettit home under cover of darkness, leaving the family bound but unharmed. The men got into the home through the cellar door. Remember the cellar door that leads down into their basement from their backyard. The, the, The lock on this door was broken. It actually had been broken for quite some time. Yeah, but this is also a neighborhood at that time. A lot of people didn't lock all their doors. Mm-hmm. And the cellar basement stairs, uh, once inside, would lead up to the Pettit family's kitchen. This door, too, had a lock on it, so you could lock it from the kitchen side. Mm-hmm. Um, however, this lock was not locked that night, and it wasn't common practice for anyone in the Pettit family to lock this door. Well, after creeping in through the cellar door, through the basement, and up the stairs, uh, they eventually found William Pettit sleeping on a couch. Um, some people call this the porch. It's more of a sunroom. Now, Bill says he never heard the men approaching him. Um, he actually didn't wake up until Josh struck him in the head with the baseball bat. Josh had found the baseball bat. Um, there are several accounts of this. Most of them saying that it was lying in the yard, somewhere in the backyard. Um, There is an account or two that said they may have found it in the basement. Then tying Bill up at gunpoint and later moving him to the basement. The children and their mother were bound and locked in their respective rooms. Stephen Hayes said that he and Karma Sajewski were not satisfied with the amount of money or valuables that they found in the home. And that was when the bank book was discovered, which showed that big available balance that we discussed. Stephen Hayes went and he pur- purchased the gas, um, the gasoline in those two jugs. He yeah, actually he did this about seven o'clock. He actually got lost on his way back to the home. 
um, driving around more than necessary. He was communicating with Joshua either by way of text or phone calls or both to try to find his way back to the pet at home, which, of course, we know he ultimately did. Mm -hmm. Um, He unloaded the gas and then he drove Mrs. Pettit to the Bank of America. He mostly drove around. You had said yesterday that she was in there longer than he had expected. And I think this probably made him nervous knowing that there would be some type of cameras or possible surveillance outside of the bank. Um, So he was driving around maybe to hide his identity a little bit better. Um, But during this time, Joshua still back at the house. He severely escalated the nature of the crimes that would be committed. Stephen Hayes says that when he returned with Mrs. Pettit and the money back to the house, that Joshua had told him that he had sexually assaulted the 11 year old girl that was locked in her room upstairs. He said that Joshua provoked him, provoked Stephen Hayes into raping Mrs. Pettit while Hayes was raping her on the floor of the living room. Joshua entered the room at some point and announced that Bill Pettit had escaped the house. Yeah, but let's be clear about this because, you know, when they're first arrested, you know, Josh is coming out right away saying, my name is, you know, Josh. There's these, you know, here's the people that are in the house. When Stephen is arrested, he doesn't give them the name. He doesn't basically cooperate at all. Within hours, they're both kind of turning on each other. Mm-hmm. This is just shows you what kind of horrible pieces of shit these people are when they say, oh, well, he provoked me to rape the mother. Yeah, you, you could have just said no. Mm-hmm. You, you got gasoline because you were worried about fingerprints and DNA. So you knew you are going to torch this house. Yeah, They go back and forth with their stories and they're constantly like, you know, it seems like most of the time they're telling the truth and then there's these little tiny gray areas where they they start putting the blame on the other individual and I think this is one of them. Oh, he provoked me. Yeah, I mean, we have this situation where there, Stephen is saying that the, the plan was to just get rid of the fingerprints, that we just need to hide evidence that we probably left unknowingly left within the home. Mm-hmm. And if we could get this gasoline, we could ransack the house, we could get the money from the bank, and then we could tie this family up, move them elsewhere, and torch the house with the gasoline. Right, and he, but he, what he's saying is because Josh escalated it by um, raping the, the daughter that, that that's the reason why they had to kill him. Mm-hmm. You knew that they saw your face anyways. Mm-hmm. I think there was a possibility that they knew that they were going to get rid of this family you know, all along. And Stephen says once he's told by Joshua that Bill Pettit had escaped the home from the basement, um, that he strangled Jennifer and then doused her lifeless body and then other parts of the house with that gasoline, including the daughter's rooms, while they're still tied to their beds. Both both of the daughters had been doused with gasoline, uh, each with her head with their heads still covered with these pillowcases. A uh, fire was started, and Stephen Hayes and Joshua Karmasajewski fled the scene. Haley and Michaela both died from smoke inhalation. Um, the they, two- they were burned to death, and the old, oldest one, there were signs that she actually got up. Um, so she was alive while she's being set on fire. And as we said, the two suspects fleeing the home, they're immediately spotted by police, pursued and arrested just one block away from the from the home. The whole 
home invasion lasted roughly seven hours. Uh, both men s- smelled strongly of gasoline uh, during the, the interrogation process. Detectives noted this. Um, each of the two lowlifes, as you had said, blamed or implicated the other as the mastermind and or driving force behind the sexual assaults and the killing spree. There were even attempts at times to blame the husband and father, Bill Pettit, as some type of accomplice. Yeah, and that was kind of the rumor in town. When you have a whole family that is murdered the way they are and and the husband gets free, I think a lot of people assumed that maybe he had something to do with it. On September 13th, 2010, this is how long it takes, Captain, to get to the first trial in this situation. Well, but there's some stuff to talk about before the first trial. I mean, both individuals, both of these um, low-life pieces of shit, they say, hey, look, we will tell you everything. We'll plead guilty. You know, just give us life in prison with no possibility of parole. That was their first thing that they did. And for whatever reason, the state decided that that wasn't enough. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate because there are there's a lot of media regarding how this came about. There's a lot of people saying that Dr. Pettit, that Bill Pettit was the driving force saying we have to we have to sentence these guys to death. Well, because there was a bill going to be passed and they're going to get rid of the death penalty. Mm-hmm. They basically state because of this case and because of the horrific nature of this case that we're going to, uh, I think the governor vetoed it and they, they said, okay, well now that bill is vetoed for right now. And now we're going to go to trial. Bill Pettit would say that, you know, he never argued, never, never fought the uh, prosecutors on this, but it was the prosecutors that had given the recommendation to him that we go after the death penalty. And we don't need to get into a whole death penalty debate or anything like that. But, uh, it, well, that's what this case becomes the yeah. aftermath of it. And the fact of the matter is, I mean, I think, okay, I'm just going to say this cause it's kind of what I believe. I mean, none of these details and none of this stuff ha- has to come out in public and you don't have to spend money on this stuff. These guys are going to plead guilty. They're going to spend the rest of their, their lives in jail they're not going to go to regular jail. They're going to go to solitary confinement. It's basically like being buried alive. And these guys are going to have to live with their actions for the rest of their lives. Also, in the meantime, before the trial happened, I believe both of them tried to take their own lives. Yeah. So these guys want to die, you know? And so you're going to go after the death penalty? That's kind of what they want. So why would you give these animals what they want? Lock them in, lock them in a cage have them deal with their actions and what they did. And they'll have to think about that every day. The other problem that I have with this case is that once you go to trial, now all these details have to be relived. And some of these details weren't known because the cops and the media, the cops weren't sharing this with the media because they didn't have to, they have confessions. And so to me, you know, it's like you can, you can protect them after their death by not having to relive this or not have to put this information onto the public. Yeah. But I, there's clearly no right answer here. Um, you know, you can make a strong argument for either situation that they should be, um, they should just let them confess and give them life in prison or 
have the state kill him. You can make a strong argument for either one. I think in this situation, whatever the sole survivor of the home invasion wants to go after, and if the prosecutor yeah, but that doesn't make it right just because he was the sole survivor. It doesn't make it wrong though either. Um, I think there is a right and wrong answer here. Okay. I mean, I think one. I don't know if we should get into this right now, but the state spent over $7 million trying to prosecute these guys. And then uh, Stephen has now asked to be sent to death and they're still appealing it. He's like, hey, go ahead, kill me. I want to die. I don't want to live with what I did. And and the state's still going, no, we're still going to have appeals. We're going to still spend more and more money on this. I, I don't know how that makes any sense. Okay. Well, I don't. I don't want to put a dollar amount on on seeking justice for for victims of horrible crimes. That's no. That's how's that seeking any justice? I mean, the, the big question here becomes: When did the cops know about this, and what could the cops done to possibly prevent this? I mean, there were they weren't dousing the house with gasoline until they got back, and w- within probably 30 seconds of them returning back home, police were on the scene. You know, so they had the house surrounded. That becomes the big question. I think that's a, a moo argument to say, well, we're going to, I'm putting a price on justice. You know, what is justice? That's what these killers wanted. They wanted to die. So isn't that giving them what they wanted? And is that justice? I would rather give Bill what he wants. I don't care what these two guys want. Anyway, at the first trial, Wait, September he, he, right, 13th. But what you're saying doesn't make any sense because what Bill wants and what the killers want are the same thing. It does make sense. How does it not make sense? I'm saying that the, the guy that had to live through this nightmare, that every day has to wake up without his wife and his two children, if he wants these guys killed, I'm fine with it. That's what I'm saying. I'm fine with it. Right. And it doesn't matter what Stephen Hayes or Joshua Karmasajewski, guys who have lied and manipulated people their entire lives, say that they want. I don't care. I don't care what they right, want. But what this they is want not is, about them. Right, this but is what, not about them yeah, at but, all. But once you go to trial, once you go seeking the death penalty, then guess what it becomes about? It becomes about them. Because now we have to argue, you know, why did they do this? What made them this way? And so the whole trial becomes about the horrific stuff that they did to your family. And then it becomes about these two individuals. And if you, if you would have just taken the plea deal and you just would have locked them up for the rest of their lives, we wouldn't be talking about this now. We wouldn't. I, I don't think so. I mean, this is a home invasion with three murders. This is one of the most publicized, uh, home invasion murder cases in, in, in the state of Connecticut. Yeah. And one of the main reasons it's so publicized is because they went to trial and sought the death penalty. Okay. Let's get to the first trial because we could debate this all night. We have uh, the first trial. It takes till September of 13th of 2010 to take place. Now, unfortunately bill had to sit just about 10 feet from one of the men who had killed his family. At the very start of the trial, the defense for Stephen Hayes simply stated that everything the state says Hayes did, he is guilty of. He broke into the Pettit home, watched his partner beat Mr. Pettit with a baseball bat. He tied up the girls, purchased the gasoline, drove Mrs. Pettit to the bank to get the money, returned her to the home, raped Jennifer Pettit, and strangled her. 
He then followed Josh as the two perpetrators fled the home knowing it was in flames and that three persons were tied up and still alive. At least two, possibly three people tied up and still alive in the home. So this trial was not going to be to decide if Stephen Hayes was guilty. Now, this trial would simply decide how Stephen Hayes is going to be punished. Would he get sentenced to life in prison or would he get the death sentence? Attorney Thomas Ullman told the jury, this is um, Hayes's attorney, told the jury that a sentence of life in prison would be the harshest possible punishment for his client because he was so tormented by his crimes and would be isolated in prison stating life in prison without the possibility of release is the harshest penalty. It is a fate worse than death. If you want to end his misery, put him to death. If you want him to suffer and carry that burden forever, the guilt and humiliation sentence him to life without the possibility of release. Yeah. And one of the things, like I said before, he tried to kill himself. And one of the reasons was he kept on having these reoccurring nightmares that, you know, Stephen had a daughter and his, in his nightmare, his daughter was burning alive and he ha- would have this dream over and over. Yeah. There were several complications, uh, with his trial. One, like you said, the suicide attempt, I guess he was, um, he was pilfering away these, the, the drugs, maybe some of yeah, this. I think that was his second attempt. Yeah. He was pilfering away these, these pills for quite some time, saving them up so he could take a whole bunch of them at once and attempt to kill himself. And then he also had some health issues throughout the course of the trial that may have slowed it down a bit. Um, It came out in Stephen's trial that according to the medical examiner, an unspeakable act had been committed on 11-year-old Michaela. Uh, Joshua Karmasajewski had sodomized the little girl. This was new information that further shocked the public and the poor family had to hear this information in person at the trial of Stephen Hayes. Joshua had admitted to assaulting the girl orally, but not this. Um, The jury also learned that the police had found pornographic pictures on Joshua's cell phone that were presumably taken by Joshua during the time that he was assaulting the little girl. The pictures showed Michaela naked and tied to her bed in the uh, showed Joshua's genitalia as well in the uh, the pictures. Yeah, and this happened when Stephen left to get the gas around seven o'clock. There was more than one assault. Um, you know, regard however you look at Stephen Hayes's story. Also presented at this trial were the journals of of Joshua, in which he referred to his breaking into homes as extreme sport. Uh, in his diary, he chose to call Bill Pettit a coward and claimed that Bill could have stopped the murders had he wanted to. He said that Jennifer, the mother and wife, was brave and that Haley, the oldest daughter, was a fighter. And again, he said Bill was a coward. The man he had beat over the head multiple times with a baseball bat. I mean, it's just rid- ridiculous um, that he would refer refer to Mr. Pettit as a as a as a coward. I mean, uh, we have Stephen Hayes, Stephen Hayes says in his confession, he says that Josh hit Mr. Pettit in the front and back of the head with the bat as hard as he could. Now this is a man that, that most certainly was threatened with a gun, uh, quote, remember the quote, if he moves, put two bullets in him, a man that had lost over seven pints of blood that was 
slipping in and out of consciousness, a man that was beaten and bound and had to hope and pray that the, the men that had beaten him were being honest when they told him they were only there for the money and then they would leave. And these same dirtbags told Jennifer, told Mrs. Pettit, if you go to the bank and get us the money, we will leave. And instead, she was not rewarded for doing this. Not rewarded for doing what they said at all. She was punished for doing what they had said. Stephen Hayes ultimately was found guilty on 16 of 17 counts related to the home invasion murders. Now, on October 5th, 2010 uh, is when he was found guilty. In early November, the jury returned with a recommendation for him to be executed. He was sentenced to death. The jury chose to show him no mercy. He was seeking mercy as he had, he he's claiming, you know, he had a pretty bad drug problem at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also saying, you know, I offered a confession to the police. I told them everything that I knew. Um, but they, they would show him no mercy. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. 
one in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code TrueCrimeGarage50 at Factormeals.com slash TrueCrimeGarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. We're back from punching each other in the face <laughs> cheers to you captain <laughs> uh on december 2nd 2010 stephen hayes he apologized for the pain and suffering he had caused the pettit family and added that death for me will be a welcome relief and i hope it will bring some peace and comfort to those who i have hurt so much now judge john blue uh formally imposed six death sentences one for each of the capital charges. Um, Blue then added a sentence of 106 years for other crimes that Stephen Hayes committed during the home invasion. And before he finished, he stated this. He stated, this is a terrible sentence, but is in truth a sentence you wrote for yourself in flames. 
May God have mercy on your soul. Now, just as the captain had mentioned, Stephen Hayes had attempted to negotiate a life sentence during a plea bargain, and that did not happen. After the verdict, his defense attorney stated Hayes smiled upon hearing the jury's recommendation of a death sentence. He added, he is thrilled. He is very happy with the verdict. That is what he wanted all along. Basically, they're going, hey, we're going for appeals. And he's like, I don't want to appeal. I, w- I want to die now. Mm-hmm. So, again, like I said, it's I know that's what Bill wanted, but it's also what the killers wanted. Now, there was a second trial. We have to try um, Joshua Karmasajewski for this. Uh, he was born in 1980 uh, to a 16-year-old girl and a 20-year-old mechanic and was later adopted by Benedict Karmasajewski. Joshua was a very similar setup, let's say. Uh, you know, we have this situation where you're caught red-handed, so it's more of a trial of is he going to get life or death? Joshua was basically begging the jury and the court for mercy. His biological parents had a history of mental illness, and Joshua grew up in a home where he was molested. When he was about four years old, his adopted parents brought in a 15-year-old foster kid who raped Joshua and put cigarettes out on him. When Joshua was was older, he ended up molesting his little sister. It's a little unclear how much knowledge the parents had of both of these situations, but it seems like at some point during his childhood they had some type of knowledge. Yeah. Um, and then choosing to deal with these situations themselves rather than to involve the authorities or any type of counseling. What angers me is that this guy gets his day in court to basically, you know, justify why he did what he did. Mm-hmm. And, and so, but these claims, you know, originally when they made these claims, I thought, well, this is probably just a bunch of, you know, horse shit, right? Yeah. But the the kid was 14 at the time the foster kid um he admits to it um he apologizes but it seems like this family always turned to religion so instead of going to the authorities or anything like that okay well you know homosexuality is wrong and we're gonna put this kid and we're gonna push religion onto him and i think that's one of the reasons why how do i say this that he's he was attracted to younger females Probably because of the abuse. Okay. But didn't turn to males because of the, the condemning nature of By, the church. Of his religion, yes. Right. Just to be clear, in case it, it confuses anybody, we're stating, we're telling the story here. And the story is that homosexuality... The situation is... The situation is this. Homosexuality <laughs> is wrong according to Joshua's church. To yeah, the church that church. he attended at the time, not according to the captain or the colonel or Nick or however many people are in the garage here. But now, like we saw in the first trial, Captain, mm-hmm. um, with the journal, with Joshua's journal coming out, that, that stating, you know, Bill Pettit was a coward. We see this again in the second trial where Josh is now saying he claimed that he believed that Bill Pettit could have escaped earlier. Uh, He claimed that the zip ties and the rope were loose enough that Bill could have wiggled his way out at any time. Um, His lawyer, Joshua's lawyer, also argued that for his client to be sentenced to death, 
the victims that were murdered had to have died in a cruel manner. Now, their argument is because two of the girls, um, here's their argument. This is, this is, okay. this is going to make you want to, you thought you, you thought you and I got into it earlier with the back and forth. This is going to make you want to, uh, kick a hole through the garage door here. Done and done. Okay. So the argument is this, that Stephen Hayes killed the mother, right? So you have to take that one off the table when you're, when you have Joshua on trial. So, he should only technically be charged with killing two people. Um, and they're stating these two girls, their cause of death is technically listed as smoke inhalation. The smoke inhalation is described, and this was forced to be described by Josh's lawyer. Uh, he had the experts, the medical experts explain what typically happens when somebody dies of smoke inhalation. Well, their argument is that the way the, the experts described this did not particularly mean that it was a cruel manner in which these two girls were killed. Of course, they failed. They purposely failed to mention the hours of traumatizing the girls. The little one uh, raped, both doused with gasoline, and like you said, w- were on fire and surrounded by flames as they died. There were some details that were learned in the trial regarding that night. Um, as the two men had some troubles with a uh, 17 year old Haley. Remember uh, Joshua's journal had said that she was a fighter. Yeah. Both the men had ripped landline phones out of the walls uh, once they took over the home. Well, at least once uh, I believe possibly twice they caught Haley with her cell phone or or someone else's cell phone attempting to either notify someone or possibly call 911. On October 13th, 2011, Josh Karmasujewski was convicted on all 17 counts. On January 27th, 2002, Judge John Blue sentenced him to death by lethal, lethal injection, to which his sentence became an automatic life sentence, as did Stephen Hayes's when eventually Connecticut abolished the death penalty. This took place in 2015. Now, both Hayes and Karma Sajewski are housed in separate prison facilities in the state of Pennsylvania to serve out their life sentences. Yeah, and I think this is the part, you know, that makes me so mad about this case. Why did this information have to come to light in public? You know, you know, why did they veto the bill for the death penalty penalty just to have this trial? And then once they have the trial, then they basically put that, they passed the law anyways. You know, it seems like wasted time, wasted money, wasted hurt. You know, I, I don't know. Well, to be fair to you, Captain, I think as with all of us, th- this is just one of many aspects of this case that that make us all very angry and upset with well, really yeah. everything. I mean, there's just no way to feel good about any of this regardless of what type of sentence or punishment these two monsters end up getting in the end. Right, and HBO made a documentary about this <laughs> and when I was watching it um towards the end of it and they're talking about Josh's trial and and what happened to him as a kid. I mean, I think that's what really frustrated me the most and what made me so angry is these these guys are horrible individuals 
and and I didn't want I don't want to know why they got that way and I don't want to feel sorry for them at all but when you hear this stuff that happened to the, this kid somebody helped create a monster was he going to be that way would this happen without that I don't know whatever you think is justice whether it's the death penalty or just rot in jail I just want that to happen but I don't want to look at him as a victim and I think by giving him the day in court, you have to examine those things. Yeah, and this was unique because for the first time in in the state's history, the Connecticut State Judicial Branch offered post-traumatic stress assistance to people who served on the juries of these two triple murder trials because they had been required to look at disturbing images and hear ghastly testimony. There were several parts during both trials where there were there were pictures that were not shown to the public to the people that just showed up to witness the trials there were many obviously many images that were shown to these people however with when it came to the jury there were several times during these trials where they took a manila envelope you know one of them file folders and they put in it um, whatever horrible graphic image that right. they had somebody had taken a picture of whether it was a picture Joshua had taken on his cell phone or whether it was police and firefighter photographs uh, during the investigation itself. And they had to pass these folders along. And, you know, the one reporter wrote that every time that these, these file folders were brought to the jury, I mean, you could see it on their faces. It, it was as simple as this. It was handed to one juror he or she would open up the the folder, right. look at the thing for a second or two, close it and hand it to the next person. And the reporter said that anytime this happened in this, in this trial in these trials, that's all you could hear in the entire courtroom. Everyone was silent yeah. and all you could hear was the flapping open of this file folder. Somebody having to see something no one should ever have to see. Well, they had to and, take multiple breaks because of this. Yes, and pass it along to the next person. And, of course, the family, the Pettit family, um, they had to sit there and hang their heads uh, when this happened as well. The victims, the, these three angels of, uh, of humans, you know, they're the victims, right. not, not these animals. But you give them their day in court, and like I said, you have to examine that stuff that happened to them as well. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's two monsters pleading for mercy. Um, they didn't obviously didn't show anybody any mercy that night. So I'm glad that, uh, 24 people decided not to show them any mercy as well as the judge. The aftermath of this thing, I mean, is, is huge, but I did want to touch upon a few things. Um, Bill Pettit established the Michaela Rose Pettit scholarship fund for the Chase Collegiate School. Um, He also established the Haley's Hope and Michaela's Miracle MS Memorial Fund. Um, There were several organizations and and foundations that have been set up uh, because of Bill Pettit and because of people close to this case trying to do a lot of good for um, because a lot of bad happened. Um, in August of 2012, Bill Pettit married, uh, he got remarried and eventually they went on to him and his new wife went on to have, I believe a son. Um, so some, some, 
kind of form of healing for for Bill. Um, yeah, and they actually tore down the Pettit family home, mm-hmm. and they turned that into a memorial garden. I really like what one of the grandparents said, is that um, if closure means anything of forgetting, then I don't want any closure. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was... That was good because, you know, the thing is that these um, the three beautiful souls, they were trying to do good in the world. And who knows what, the, I mean, you, you have a young daughter that raised over $50,000 for MS. Yeah. You know, that's. that's yeah, I mean, they were, the, the, the three girls were good in every sense of the word. I mean, all three of them. And here's one thing I also want to touch upon too, Captain, is. You know, I, I've heard people say, and I think this is a fantastic quote, that that one's, one's character is best judged in a time of tragedy. And the way that the Bill Pettit and um, his parents and the family members of, you know, the Hawk family and Jennifer Pettit's family, the way that they carried themselves, presented themselves, and their humanity... Uh, through this whole thing, to it, to me, it was amazing how well they were able to to carry themselves and hold themselves together yeah. during and and remain civilized in a situation that none of us can actually can imagine and should never have to imagine going through. Now, Bill Pettit, he has not returned to his medical practice since the murders, stating that he his desire is to be active in the foundation set up to honor the memory of his deceased family. Um, He now serves as a, I believe a state representative. The other thing too, regarding him not returning to his medical practice, we have to keep in mind the injuries that he sustained during that. And the, the type of, you know, he's got to have a clear mind. Mm -hmm. He's got to have steady hands. He has to be able to think on his feet uh, because of his job. And he has said that the injuries he sustained and the loss um, emotionally, mentally, his heart is broken, that he, he's no longer able to be of sound mind and yeah, be, he, to be somebody that's able to care uh, for his patients in the way that they deserve to be. Yeah, when you go through that a tragic like that or a tragic loss like that, you have to figure out why care to go on? And that's what he, he had to figure out. Uh, one final thought for me, Captain, is Joshua Karmasajewski. He called Bill Pettit a coward. And personally, I can't think of a more sick and cowardly act than raping a child. Joshua Karmasajewski is a child rapist. He had a daughter of his own, and there may have been one possibly good thing that could have come of this. I believe he would have eventually, if he hadn't already, I believe he would have raped his own daughter and very likely many times. That's what he is. That's what Joshua Karma Sajewski is. He's a child rapist and he in fact is the coward. Uh, Bill Pettit, uh, because of cowards like Joshua Karma Sajewski and Stephen Hayes, he chose to speak at the funeral and two trials for his wife and two daughters. And on those days, Bill, William Pettit was more of a man than I have ever been asked to be and more brave 
than I could ever imagine to be. One thing that we should touch on, because if we don't, we'll probably get some hate mail, is the reaction from the cops and how they handled the situation. There has been some criticism from the Hawk family. Yeah, and I get it. I get it. I don't know that I... Uh, here's the problem. I'm able to sit here in the garage with you, you know, and, and have a good time with you. and Not a, today, my well, friend. Yeah, today's been aggravating, but it's because of the case, not because of you, not because of anything out, because outside of, of you. this. But I'm, I'm lucky. I'm able to sit here and have a beer and relax and talk about this thing that happened 10 years ago. Right. And so you'd think my mind would be clear more clear than what, than what it is that I should have a hard stance on these different opinions, but I don't, I, I, what I see is a crime that took six or seven hours to commit that broke a lot of people. It broke the family members and it, it, it broke the community. The thing here is you have a situation where I think, I think in a, a good number of ways, the police were just following protocol. They were setting up a perimeter. They were trying to, you know, they have to keep the peace. And if that means um, trapping it with inside those four walls, sometimes that's what they have to do. And as you and I both agreed on, they don't fully know the situation as to what's going on inside those four walls. I agree with the people that are, that are angry at the police. And, And here's what I mean by that. I agree that they're angry. Because I, too, am angry. I just don't know that the police are the right people to be angry at. I think that this case is um, one of these ones that just rips your heart out. And the problem is you, when you have these two lowlifes who get life sentences or committed to death, whatever, mm-hmm. regardless of what they end up getting, you're still angry. You're still mad and you're still upset. And at some point you need more to blame than just these two guys, because this just seems too horrible for only two people to be responsible for. And so that's when, you know, when you see, um, the Hawk family upset with the police, I agree with them. And I think you have to let them vent. I don't know what could have been done differently. I know that bill has never publicly, Blame the police for any misdoings. Yeah, you want to talk about being courageous. I mean, here's the individual that he feels, you know, he lost all this blood and he still feels that he should have went up the different stairs instead of going outside that he should have went into the kitchen. And I think he blames himself a little bit and he's probably angry. And I guarantee you these cops, this law enforcement team, now knowing what they know, I guarantee you they're angry mm-hmm. with some of their decisions. Put yourself in their shoes. You don't know what's happening. You're trying to assess the situation. These cops did not want this to take place. I guarantee you that every single one of them wish wishes that they could have stopped it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that they're angry and I'm sure that they blame themselves and there's no reason for more people to point the finger at them. Hey, one thing I want to point out to all the great garage people out there is that we have our blog that's active on truecrimegarage.com. A lot of these cases, you know, we cover so many cases, a new one every week. A lot of times we are asked if we could do an update and things like that. Yeah. That is, the blog is a running update of all those cases. And the great thing is that everybody out there gets to contribute to that blog and to that information. You can participate by reading or writing your own comment there. I do want to throw one thing in here, please, Captain. Uh, we'll, no. 
<laughs> Silent. <laughs> he shut it down just like that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> regarding this case, um, let's let's not get into a whole pro against uh, death penalty debate on the blog. We will refer- refrain from doing that. Um, but certainly leave yeah, your other thoughts there at truecrimegarage.com. A lot of interesting conversation going on regarding the Kanika Jenkins case, uh, the Delphi case. Um, all these cases still very active, so check out that information there. Yeah, you can uh, speculate if we're left or right wing, but uh, we'll never tell you because this is not a political show. So, What I can tell you, Captain, is that this case has made me so very angry, and I'm very <laughs> lucky and thankful to have a whole big bowl of leftover candy bars from last night, and I will use that entire bowl to comfort myself. Well, I'm going to use... I'm and get use, me through this troubling moment. I'm going to use a thing called bourbon. <laughs> so, all right. Thanks for sharing on social media. Thanks for supporting the show. We would be nothing without you. Uh, we'll see you again next week. Have a happy Halloween. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. you are bpm's high sweat dripping body moving tongue panting you're working hard real hard and you're thirsty you need vitamins nutrients for peak performance and energy and your plants do too Aww. i mean just look at the little guy water-soluble plant food from miracle grow is full of essential nutrients just a little scoop into your watering can and boom instant feeding and bigger more beautiful plants it's kind of like a sports drink for your plants you may have to suffer from heat but your plants do not 